Thank you, Brian. Thank you, choir. As I read the creation account in the book of Genesis, it seems to me that the pinnacle of God's creative order was the making and joining of man and woman as husband and wife. And immediately, God's design came under attack as the serpent, the devil, tempts them and they fall into sin. From the beginning of time when God established marriage, the devil has attacked it in various ways because he wants to destroy what God has designed. For example, the devil introduced the idea of divorce. And in America, over half of all marriages, Christian or not, end in divorce. Another example is the devil's attempt to destroy marriage. To destroy marriage is to manipulate governments of nations to redefine marriage by sanctioning homosexual marriage. Still another weapon in the devil's arsenal is against marriage is that he's convincing young people and even senior adults that it's more advantageous to just live together. That you don't have to have God's blessing of marriage. After all, it's just a piece of paper. Another attack uh, from the devil is to convince people that one partner is not enough. You need more than one partner. You can have extramarital affairs. And that's okay because everybody's doing it. The title of this message is Honoring Marriage. And the only way to honor marriage is to honor God's design for marriage. God's defined what marriage is. And nobody, not a government or a Supreme Court or the majority of a nation's citizens, can redefine it. We call it holy matrimony because marriage is holy. It's of God. It's for God. It's unto God. And to mock marriage in any of these ways is to mock God. So in the message this morning, my intent is not to attack those who have fallen prey to the devil's tactics to destroy God's design for marriage. Because if we're honest with one another, we've all been guilty. For Jesus even said to look at a woman lustfully, and I believe he would include that for women to men, is to commit adultery in your heart. There's not a soul here that hasn't violated God's design for something. God's purpose today is to honor His design for marriage, to lift it up, and to call us as His church to stand on His truth and not be deceived by devilish intent or swayed by public opinion. So, Let's talk about this morning. What is God's design for marriage? First of all, God created male and female in His image. Genesis 1. Open your Bibles this morning. Let's look at the Scriptures. I believe it will also be on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Back to the basics. Back to the beginning. Sixth day of creation. God saved the best for last. Amen? We are the pinnacle of God's creation. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and the nature of God. Rejection of one's biological gender is a rejection of the image of God within that person. Some may say, well, Brother Lee, it's just not that simple in today's world. Well, I would say if it's not that simple, I would ask who complicated it. I think we complicated it. Sin complicated it. We certainly can't blame God because in the beginning He created them how? Male and female. There was no gender confusion. There was no transgender. Male and female. So if we're going to honor God's design, we have to begin there. That God created mankind as either male or female. And we must embrace how God created us. So that's the first point. Secondly, God established marriage by uniting one man with one woman for life. Genesis 2, verse 20. So God, Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beast of the field, every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Man, aren't you glad? Husbands, just look at your wife and thank God that she's not a beast. Go ahead. You could have been married. I'm not going there. But no matter what you think of your wife, she's not an animal. Aren't you glad that, that God didn't, that Adam didn't find a, 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 a companion among the animal kingdom? And God had already said in verse 18. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And you just look at your wife, husbands, and you just tell her, you're my helper. You fit me. You could even say, you complete me. <laughs> Go ahead, practice. Honey, you complete me, sweetheart. You're my helper comparable to me. I hate that, you ha that God has to compare you to me, but I kind of like the song, Brian. That was good. You know, I feel, you know, <clears throat> how could she have fallen for me? I feel like she, the flattered fool. What was the other line? And, that's all right. Put you on the spot. <laughs> but let's keep reading here. So Adam... 
So the Lord God, verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Remember the comedian said Friday night, he said, that must have been the bone that we could read minds with. He took it from us. I want you to notice he took a rib, not a foot bone, to trample on her, not a head bone to dominate, took a rib from the side. It's important. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. Not the man and his girlfriend. Not the man and his cousin, not the man and his boyfriend, the man and his what? Wife. Wife were naked, and they were what? You see, any sex outside of that relationship brings what? Shame, reproach. So this hits three different areas of how the devil has deceived our world into dishonoring marriage. First of all, we mentioned divorce. I want you to understand something, church, this morning. God loves divorced people. Amen? He loves... We're not talking about God's love. We're talking about God's design for marriage. God loves divorced people. He loves single people. He loves married people. He loves young people, he loves old people, and he doesn't love anybody more than he loves the other. We're just talking about God's design. You see, the devil's idea was to divide husband and wife. That's his scheme. Let me ask you folks who are married or have been married, have you ever felt that battle of division between you and your spouse? If you have, raise your hand. If you haven't, you're lying. <laughs> because every married couple has felt the power of the devil's scheme to divide husband from wife. And some, sadly, have succumbed to that. That doesn't mean God loves you any less. He loves you just as much as those who fought through it, made it through. But Jesus was tested by the Pharisees. He was asked a question. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus said, well, what did Moses say? And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her, and that was true. In the Old Testament law, that Moses made an allowance for men to write a certificate of divorce to his wife. But in that day, it was, it was over flippant things. It was over, you know, if she burnt the toast or they, she just didn't please him in any way, then they could just get rid of her. It was a devaluation of the woman or the wife. And so Jesus said, this was because of the hardness of your heart. 
But he said in verse 6, from the beginning. Now underline that in your Bibles or in your minds because that's God's design. Anytime you hear the phrase from the beginning, we're talking about God's perfect intent. From the beginning, he created male and female. From the beginning, he created them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one, so then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So we honor marriage when the church seeks to divorce-proof the marriages in the body. That's what Friday night was about. That's what today is about. We as a church want to help married couples divorce-proof their marriage. We want to help husbands know how to divorce-proof their marriage. We want to help wives know how to divorce-proof their marriage. And if you have been divorced and you're married again, we want you to stay married, and we want to help you to divorce-proof your marriage because we love you and God loves you. And so we honor marriage when we seek to divorce-proof our marriage. Because the devil seeks to tear it up. Another tactic we mentioned the devil uses to destroy God's design is homosexual marriage. Marriage in the Bible has and has always had only one meaning. The uniting of one man and one woman in a single exclusive union. It is within that union and that union alone that sexual intimacy is to occur. Sex between partners of the same sex is considered, according to Leviticus 18, an abomination. He says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal. You see, Adam didn't find a helper among the animal kingdom. He says to defile yourself with that animal. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. Why do you think our nation is struggling so bad? Do you think it's because we have accepted what God calls an abomination? God says it affects the land. The land. And then he says in Romans 1, homosexual marriage is an unnatural passion. He said, for this reason, what reason? God, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It says God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. It is not natural for a man to lie with a man or a woman with a woman. It's unnatural. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out they're incompatible. They're not comparable to one another. They're same as. But God didn't intend for that. He said, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So the church honors God's design when we stand for what God stands for. Amen? And when we stand against what God stands against. Amen? 
There should be no Christian that is for homosexual marriage. And listen, you say, Brother Lee, wait till it affects your family. It has. And I'm still against it. You say, Brother Lee, you wouldn't be against divorce if it affected your family. It has. Both of my sisters. And I'm still against it. Why? I'm not against it because I'm against them. I love them with all my heart. I'm against it because God hates homosexual marriage. But he loves homosexuals. He hates divorce, the Bible says, but he loves divorcees. He hates lust, but he loves those who commit lust. He loves us. We're not talking about his love. We're talking about his design. Another attack on the marriage today is sex outside of marriage. That may be one of the biggest attacks on marriage today. I would imagine it has affected many people in this congregation in one way or another. But God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. Any form of sexual activity, including adultery, which is sex while you're married with somebody else who you're not married to, fornication, which is sex before you're married, homosexual behavior, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, pornography of any kind is sinful and offensive to God. It is an attack of the devil against God's design for marriage. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, the body is not for sexual immorality. But see, that's not what Hollywood wants you to believe. Hollywood wants you to believe that God gave you that body to fulfill whatever desires you have. Freely, without restraint. God says, your body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for your body. And God both raised up the Lord, Jesus, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. You know, if you're saved, the Bible says that you belong to Christ. And everybody you're immoral with, you've made Christ immoral with. That ought to make us think. He says, do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee, run away from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. And we just sang about that price. The blood of Christ running red. That was the price he paid for your body. You see, this theory of Gnosticism has been around for 
hundreds and thousands of years that taught that your body, that all matter, everything you can touch has weight and takes up space, including your body, all matter is evil. So if, if your body is evil, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. Even if you have given your heart to Christ, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. But that is contrary to what God says in His Word. Your body is holy. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Your body was bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Your body is not your own. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. Are you glorifying God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's? So you see, any sex, any act, sexual activity outside of marriage, that includes extramarital affairs, that includes sex before you're married, in any form, you say, oh, we didn't go all the way. Any form of sexual contact outside of marriage is a slam, is a weapon seeking to destroy God's design for marriage and your future marriage. It will have an effect on your future marriage or your present marriage. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, well, let me keep reading, verse, chapter 7, verse 1, considering the things of which you wrote to me, Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each wife have her own husband. He says in that passage later on, it's better to marry than to burn. Better to marry than to burn in lust. You know, Paul was celibate. He didn't have a wife. And he, he says in that passage that God gave him the grace to be that way. He says, but I don't command that all people live that way because it's like a gift. And not all can live that way. So he says, if you cannot control your passions, he says, then it's better to marry than to burn. But listen, marriage is not intended just for you to have and enjoy sex. There's a deeper connection than that. But it is certainly only to take place within the biblical role of marriage. He says in Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable among all. That's why we honor marriage. It's honorable. And the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So you see, we honor marriage when we teach, like I'm teaching this morning, and expose, like I'm exposing this morning, that anything other than what God said is sin. And when we teach, other, uh, teach people in the church to avoid sexual immorality, to repent of sexual immorality, when we say to them, God doesn't hate you because you've committed this sin, God loves you, but He's waiting to bless you when you repent. He calls us to repent. So you see, we honor marriage not by avoiding these hard topics. We honor marriage when we exalt God's design. It's not easy. It's difficult to talk about these things, but the church for too long 
has been too silent. And that's why our country and the morals of this country are in the gutter. I want to show you one more thing. Marriage, God's design, he created male and female. He united one man with one woman for a lifetime. You were only meant to know one man sexually. You were only meant to know one woman sexually. In every way, with your mind, with your eyes, and with your body. That's God's design. And again, many, many of us, probably most of us, have failed in God's design right there. One more thing, God, marriage is God's picture of the gospel. Marriage is God's picture of the gospel. Look at Ephesians 5. You know this chapter. You know it to be the marriage chapter. Talking, telling wives and husbands how to relate to one another. But I want you to look at verse 32. This is the key verse in that whole passage as God is speaking to wives and He's speaking to husbands. But this is the key to the whole understanding of this chapter, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, in this scripture, when God gives us a picture of a relationship between Christ and His church, He uses the analogy of marriage. In fact, the Bible calls the church His, uh, uh, his bride, and He our bridegroom. So what Jesus, what God is doing here is He's using marriage. He's using your marriage. He's using my marriage to picture to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot pervert the gospel. And we pervert the gospel when we pervert marriage. I want you to notice from this passage the comparisons that are made. He compares wives to the church. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then he compares the husband to Christ. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, when you look at this comparison, he compares the wife to the church. And he says to the church, as he says to the wife, in your relationship to your husband and our relationship to Jesus, we are to have a surrendered, submissive spirit. We yield to Jesus Christ. Now, Husbands, he says, you're like Christ. Now you stick your chest out a little bit and you go, yeah, I am. All right, husbands, and I speak to myself. Let's ask ourselves, who gave more in that relationship, the church or Jesus? I didn't hear very many male voices. (laughs) The church gave more or Jesus gave more? So what does that tell you in marriage, men? What does it tell you in marriage, men? Who gives more? Who's supposed to give more? 
man loves his wife as Christ loved the church and lays down his life for her. He loves the church as he loves, he loves his wife as he loves himself. He nourishes and he cherishes her. And he, according to 1 Peter 3, honors her and he prays for her. You see, if we're going to, husbands, stick out our chest and say, that's right, I'm the head of this house. Just like Christ, the head of the church. Woman. <laughs> and that's not how, is that how Jesus came to us? That ain't how Jesus came to us. How did he come? Meekly. He said, I am meek and humble. He didn't come sticking out his chest, bragging about who he was. He came loving and dying for his for us. Husbands, that's your picture. That's your picture. Wives, your picture is the church. You say, well, the church isn't doing a great job. We're not, are we? We're like an unsubmissive wife, aren't we? We're rebellious. We go our own way. We, we think on our own. We adopt other rules for ourselves. We don't want to submit. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. You see, that's a result of the fall. Wives, but he says here, as the church is supposed to submit to Christ. That's how you are to your husband. As the church is supposed to stand in awe, we sang about that a moment ago, in, of Christ, a wife is to respect and honor her husband. As the church is supposed to live a holy life, 1 Peter 3 tells the wife, to live as pure and chaste conduct. As a church is supposed to seek a purity, inward purity, not just an outward conformity to a set of rules and regulations, he tells the wife, don't seek just to adorn the body, but seek to adorn the heart. As the church is to fully trust and follow Jesus Christ, so the heart of the wife is to fully trust and follow the leadership of her husband, according to 1 Peter 3. You see, these are the pictures that God has established for us that pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we pervert that picture, we have perverted to the world the gospel, the picture of the gospel. I believe that if Christians, more of us, were to honor God's design for marriage, I believe unbelievers would be busting down our doors to find out what we know. But all of us are violators, aren't we? Aren't we? All of us have violated God's design in some way. For marriage, maybe for material possessions, God's design for knowledge and ability. We've all violated God's design. And we're not talking about His love because He loves violators. If He didn't love violators, who would He have left to love? No one. We're not talking about His love. We're talking about His design. And how God wants us as the church to honor His design to hold it up before the world, not just in word, and not just homosexual marriage or some other particular sin, but 
our own marriage and the sins that we have committed and to the stand, stand on God's word for that. You see, we're all violators, but that doesn't make it okay. Majority doesn't rule. If the majority goes to the voting booth to vote some sin and to legalize it, doesn't mean that it's right. Right? Who rules? God rules. And God wants to rule in His church. And God wants to rule in your home. And God wants to rule in our hearts. So we honor marriage today by honoring God's design. And to the best of my ability, I've tried to show you what God's design is for marriage. And I want us as a church to agree together that this is God's design. And to commit together that with the best of our ability, we're going to live according to God's design. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to give it our best with God's grace. We're going to submit to His way, because His way is the right way. His way is the joyful way. His way is the fulfilling way. And listen, it, you may be here this morning and find yourself as a present tense violator of God's design. There is mercy abundant, waiting for you, waiting for you, mercy. In fact, it's already been shed abroad to you. Because if it weren't for God's mercy, you would already have been consumed because of your sin. He has allowed you another opportunity to repent. Do not mistake God's mercy for His stamp of approval. Accept God's mercy as the power to repent and turn back to Him because He loves you with an everlasting love. He's there like the father of the prodigal waiting to receive you the moment you get up out of the pig pen and come back to Him. He will embrace you. He will put that robe on your back, that ring on your finger, the shoes on your feet, and he will say once again, this is my son. This is my daughter who I died for. So maybe some of you need to repent because you have, are presently violating God's design and you are ashamed. You don't have to tell us here today. You don't have to stand up and confess to the whole church unless that's what God's telling you to do but you do need to get it right with Him. You do need to humble yourself before Him. You do need to get it right with those you've wronged. Because you see, your sin, especially this type of sin we've talked about today, doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. Even your church family. And so, yes, there may be cause for you to say to your church family, I have sinned, and I need your forgiveness. And I promise you that this church family will receive that. I promise you, according to God's word, that God will receive a repentant heart. And he will give you the grace 
and he will give us all the grace we all need day after day to walk in his ways because the devil is always trying to trip us up. Would you bow with me this morning?